Margin Call is the podcast that gives you behind-the-scenes access to the ups and downs of working in the Forex CFD industry. We interview the people that keep the show on the road, giving you insight into what makes the industry tick. The series is guest-hosted by myself, Jordan Michaelides, and produced by the team at Neural Media. To learn more, visit gomarkets.com slash podcast. That's G-O-M-A-R-K-E-T-S dot com slash podcast. Or take a look at the Go Market suite of products at gomarkets.com. Go Markets is a derivatives broker and Jordan Michaelides is the managing director of Neural Media. All opinions expressed by Jordan and podcast guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Go Markets, an AFSL license holder. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for financial decisions nor as an indication of future performance. Clients of Go Markets may hold positions in the derivatives mentioned. A financial services guide and product disclosure statement for our products are available at gomarkets.com. In this episode, we spoke with Mark Austin. Mark is the co-founder of Magnetic Trading, a trading, coaching, and services business. With experience across prime institutions such as the Royal Bank of Canada and EFG Capital, Mark's unique insights have helped many discover what it takes to trade with a principled approach. In this episode, we covered life in Thailand, how he got into trading, magnetic trading and what it actually does, technical versus fundamental analysis, publishing results and transparency, and of course, trading principles and mindset. If you like the episode, do leave a rating on your podcast app or share with your friends, take a screenshot, post on your Instagram story, tagging at GoMarkets. Show notes and all previous guests are at gomarkets.com slash podcast. With that being said, let's get into the episode with Mark Austin. Mark, we're live. Great. How, how are you? Yeah, no, great at the moment. I'm just currently in Koh Samui, bright and early yeah. here, and it's, uh, it's a lovely day. So looking forward to having a uh, good conversation with you. Now, why, why move to Thailand? How did that come about? So my, my earliest career, I've always been in finance, and I got out of finance during the credit crisis. So back in 2008, 2009, I decided to leave the banking industry. I just viewed that I didn't want to be part of that industry anymore. I viewed, you know, pay was going to be reduced, bonuses were going to be reduced, and uh, there was just so much red tape coming into the into the banking institutions that um, I decided to leave. So at the time, I was making as much money with my personal trading as I was actually working in the bank. So the decision wasn't actually that difficult to make. So I just took my laptop, my skill set, and I headed off uh, to do a bit of traveling, really. The, the idea was actually to come down to Australia and maybe, you know, do some work down there. But I ended up staying, I came to Koh Samui actually initially with a view of just spending a few months there. Um, I was just trading and I met a, met a guy down there and um, he asked me what I was doing. And I said, look, I'm just trading, I'm trading the FTSE. Um, that's, that's how I'm making an income at the moment. And um, he actually had a financial list and he wanted, wanted me to send my trades to him initially. And then... Um, and then his client list. Okay. So I kind of ended up just slipping into this sort of helping other clients uh, make money on trading and, and a lot of people following my trades purely out of accident. I just fell into it really. I didn't really have any desire to go and do that. I was just really just going to trade my own money. Um, so that's how I ended up staying in um, Thailand really. Um, yeah. Because I set up that business and, um, you know, I travel a lot, but. Thailand is still still my home. It's been for the last 10 years. What, what do you think of the expat community there? Because it's like it, it's an area that, um, particularly for Australians as well, I know, I think it's, is it Chiang Mai? Yes. Um, yeah, like there's a lot of, there's so many co-working spaces and tech companies there now. But um, Koh Samui is also another one where you just hear of a lot of expats, I guess, linking up there. So how have you found it? Um, it's interesting. It has it has changed very um, rapidly over the last few years, actually. 
when I first came here, there were a lot of Westerners, um, but actually the expat community has started to diminish. I think that's because of the strong BART. So um, cost of living in the strong bar is not helping a lot of expats who are earning in uh, their own sort of currencies, be it the pound, especially the pound, um, yeah. US dollar or the Aussie um, with that with that bar going up. So, um, so yeah, so we, we are seeing uh, quite a few expats leave, unfortunately, at the moment. And even if you look at the, the visitors coming in to Thailand now uh, from tourism, it's predominantly... Um, Chinese, Chinese and Korean. Really? Yeah, yeah. So it's wow. a lot of Chinese now visit um, Thailand. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we, we have that here in Australia where um, I think recently they just crossed over to the Chinese uh, expat in terms of, not in terms of visas yet, but um, definitely tourism. They've overtaken the British. The British were like the biggest bunch of tourists that we had. Like it's the old cliche. I worked with so many people in finance and they come over and the first thing they do is they go work on these farms so they can stay in Australia a little bit longer. And then, you know, a couple of years later, they wind up working in the finance industry because the weather is typically better than London normally mm-hmm. if you're in somewhere like Sydney. And, um, and, and the lifestyle is often better. But now it's, yeah, it's, it's increasingly becoming more and more Chinese. I think that sort of will happen over time as their middle class grows as well. Sure. But it's interesting that it's affecting, affecting there. I noticed that in Vietnam. I was in Vietnam a few years ago. And uh, it was sort of crossing over from mainly US and French tourists to, to large groups of Chinese tourists. So... I, I guess it's just an overwhelming trend in uh, in the region. I, I guess. Yeah, and it's you know it's 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 close as well. It's it's not too far away. Um, and um, yeah, as you said, the middle class is growing rapidly now, so they all have a lot more money. Yeah, and, uh, it's you know it's such a big country. So, um, but it's interesting that, that I find the Chinese actually stay more on the resort. So it, it, it Thailand kind of feels quieter. But actually, tourism is increasing here um, year by year. But it feels yeah. quieter because they yeah. tend to stay, you know, in the resorts or in their villas that they're renting, yeah. rather than going out uh, as much as the Westerners. It's sort of like um, the analogy I've been thinking about recently is how in the sort of '60s and '70s you would have large groups of American tourists. Tourists, you know, as that middle class is developing, they'd always go out in groups. Yes, and um, that that is a massive thing. With um, like tour companies are the biggest beneficiary of tourism in Australia at the moment, um, particularly from that Chinese market because they they come in groups of twenty or forty. It's sort of you know arranged from the homeland, and then they come out as that group. But I wonder over time whether they'll their behaviors will become more like, you know, the, the Western tourists in when it comes to the 90s and the early noughties where you get people just traveling on their own. And that'll be the key thing, I think, for tourism in Australia in particular. They're saying that tourism in the next 10 years could easily overtake mining. Um, but I've got to ask, uh, what do you miss the most from home? Okay, I mean, obviously, I miss uh, family and friends. Um, they're they're the key the key drivers, really. And and sometimes, it, you know, it, it's it's a struggle out here as well. I mean, I do speak some Thai, but I'm by no means fluent. So you know, I can get by every day, but uh, you know, sometimes it's it's a struggle just to get by um, tr- trying to deal in a, in a foreign uh, language. So it's nice just to go back home, and even if you're doing business, it's, it's very easy. Uh, getting something done uh, back home, you know, takes five minutes, whereas in Thailand it can take days. So yeah, they're kind of the main things I miss. Uh, I don't miss the weather. <laughs> the <UK laughs> weather. I mean, look, the summers actually. Summers in the UK are actually getting better. I, I went home in August for a month this this time this year, and uh, you know they they had a great summer. It was you know in the high high twenties, probably as good as as Australia really. <laughs> but yeah, the winters are a struggle. Uh, certainly, the yeah. UK, uh, they don't have the nicest winters there. A lot of rain, and uh, you know, I remember when I was working in the banks, I I would wake up. You know, you you'd get up at six o'clock in the morning, you go to a, you go to work in the dark, and then you'd come home in the dark. Jeez. So you, you don't see any daylight. Where where did you grow up? 
Which part so of the UK? I was fortunate enough to grow up in um, in Jersey, so not New Jersey. Whenever I say where I'm from, yeah, yeah, America. No, so Jersey is an island, so it's the Channel Islands, which are actually very near France. Mm. So they are crown dependency, um, but and they, you know we use the pound there, but um, yeah, very near France. Were you were you were like was your family local there or were your you know, had your parents moved there for work? Because Jersey's like quite common. Um, I remember in my accounting job, there was quite a few accounts that had worked in Jersey. Uh, accounting, banking, financial services in general, It's there's quite a large economy for that. Yeah, so my father was actually in offshore finance. So hence we were, ah. we were in, um, I've, I've literally grown up in offshore jurisdictions. Uh, wow. So I'm okay. quite used to uh, islands actually. Hence why I'm, I always always spend some time in cities but i'm always drawn back to the uh the ocean i do like being yeah. um, close to the ocean do you have any particular fond memories as a kid growing up my my earliest memory actually a child was in a place called Nauru. so not oh, many really? people, not many well you may well given in, in, you're, you're australian you may know Nauru. um yeah it's a very small pacific island but again my father was based out there. I must have been around four, maybe four years old. And yeah, I just remember sort of in the backyard on the bike there, but I actually went to school there or kindergarten and I was the only white child there. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I can't remember that the experiences there, but I remember my mother saying it was, it was uh, a little bit difficult for me um, yeah. being out there. That's fascinating. Yeah. Nauru is, is an interesting one. I think, there's a funny relationship that Australia has with Nauru. Like uh, originally they were used for uh, processing asylum seekers, but Nauru as an economy actually became very um, smart at uh, acquiring land in Australia. Like uh, some of the largest real REITs in Australia are predominantly owned by like a sovereign wealth fund out of Nauru. Right. Um, yeah, there's all sorts of like Nauru House in Sydney is quite a massive building, quite an old building as well. But yeah, they've done, the government's done pretty well actually. Um, but yeah, not many people know about it at all, unless of course you're from Australia. Uh, just going back to your early career, you're talking about waking up at 6am, returning home at night uh, in the dark. Um, before we get to the GFC, I think I was just, I was fascinated by your career you worked at as sort of in the client services space for uh the royal bank of canada you worked at ubs obviously you left it around around 2008 what what area did you typically work in it sort of seems like private wealth so i started off with offshore uh tax planning so trusts and I moved into wealth management so looking after very high net worth individuals um Mm -hmm. I had a portfolio of clients in the Middle East, uh, predominantly Dubai at that time. And okay. um, things were booming at that time and there was a lot of money. And I think maybe you'll remember that property was, it was really hot at that time, but just before yeah. the financial crash. Um, you know, people were making, you know, five, 5% in a week on their properties, even before they'd been built. Um, so it was, it was a huge bubble out there at the time, uh, which ultimately blew up. So uh, that was actually another factor for me deciding to leave because not only was it, there was a financial crash, also the, the market that, that I was uh, focusing on uh, in the Middle East in Dubai, the property market just fell out. Mm. Uh, so a lot of people lost a lot of wealth who had invested in property there. Okay. And were you based out of London at the time when you were working with those clients in the Middle East? Yeah, so London and, and also Jersey, um, and then used to uh, a lot of business trips uh, down to, uh, to, to Dubai. Mm-hmm. And where did the trading come into it? Like, it, you know, for myself, I, uh, before I even got into the industry, I was trading oil futures at university. Sure. Um, funnily enough, I lost absolutely everything because, uh, you know, you do when you think you know everything at the age of 19. Mm. And uh, it was a very, very valuable lesson, but it's always got me thinking about where was your first intrigue into the world of trading? So I got into it very early as well. I actually got into it at uh, 
and in university as well, uh, around 20, 21 years old. And it was actually from my mother, believe it or not. So my mother used to trade um, stocks, well-known stocks on the um, FTSE index. Uh, you know, she used to used to buy BHP Billiton uh, huh. and some of the big mining companies, and she, she used to make really good money on it. So um, she's, you know, one day she said, "Look, do you want to do you want to come in on this and learn it?" And I was, yeah, why not? So as, as soon as I uh, started to research this and I, I placed my first trade, I, I just, I was hooked. You know, that was it. I was just, I really wanted to, just, to, to do that, really. So that's how I sort of fell into it. And then I was just obsessed with trading um, since then, really. Uh, I went into, went into banking, but I was still always trading um, my own personal account. Okay. And what, what did you learn from your mom in particular about trading? So she was, I mean, a lot of technical analysis at that time. So that's kind of the, the, main, the main factor I was using for my decisions to buy and sell stocks. Um, we'll talk about this later, but, I, you know, technical analysis these days, it's one small component. I don't rely on that by any means. Mm. Uh, but at the, back in those days, it was just that. So it, it was kind of hit and miss. But, uh, I mean, I think you all agree it, it, it's – it's better to actually get into trading before you've made any money because I've, yeah. I've met a lot of people that made, made a lot of money and then they come into the trading and they think it's really, really easy and they don't have any discipline and they end up losing a lot of money. So, yeah. um, you know, I was, I was like you, I, I lost sort of lost small in the very early days while I was learning, which was, which was good. Yeah. I mean, I lost, I definitely lost uh, small in comparison to, what I would play with these days, but you know, I think I lost about four grand at the time, which for me was just um, like all the money I'd saved in about a year or so. Sure. And uh, but it just it, it was a very valuable lesson. The book I read after that was what I learned losing a million dollars. And you're absolutely right about that point because this book basically profiles a guy who became a key member of the CME um, or a key trader at the CME. And how he had continued success and believed that the movement of the market and his ability to pick trades was really him and not just the market. And it got to a point where this guy was a multi-millionaire and then in the space overnight, he lost absolutely everything. His marriage, house. um, It's one of the most fascinating books I've ever, ever read Mm. Um, because this guy showcases like you have to have a system and a plan to be a trader you can't just go off status or previous successes um so it was super super interesting i mean that's the thing with trading it's it's not only a skill set of making money but you really find out about yourself so all those weaknesses with your personality you know you're going to know straight away what they are so Mm. you're not disciplined um or you don't like to lose you know these are all all these things are going to be or you're very competitive is all going to be um, highlighted um, yeah. and in a very painful, <laughs> painful way <laughs> if, if you're losing a trade or losing money. Yeah, for sure. What um, what horror stories have you got from the GFC? Obviously, you you moved into full time trading after that. I mean, we spoke to a previous guest, uh, Tom, who actually works at Go Markets, and he was talking about how he worked down the road from Lehman, and uh, just on the day that uh, they went bankrupt, you know the. The chaos, I think it was down at Canary Wharf, was absolutely nuts. So I guess I'm curious as to what that period was like from your perspective. Well, it's interesting. I mean, um, before we had the chaos, and we'll come back to that, we actually, I was right in the booming time. So um, I was working actually in my very early 20s for a firm called Abacus um, in Jersey. Oh, yeah. And they, they managed the pension funds for the big traders so the big traders would get these bonuses, and a lot of these traders were not—they were non-dom. So they were living in—they were living in, the, in in London, trading in London, but they were from different countries. Mm-hmm. They would be able to put uh, a very large proportion of this bonus money into into these tax wrappers um, mm-hmm. and invest them. And we were there to sort of advise on which investments they should put it in. So I I was getting taken around and, and meeting some of the top traders in Canary Wharf at the time and in Lehman's partic- particularly. So wow. meeting these guys who'd just been paid 20, you know, 10, 20 fa- uh, million, million dollars in bonuses. Can you imagine? Jesus. 
And um, I remember at the time, the guy I was, the director I was going around with, he said, you are never going to get access to this again in your life to get, you know, meet these top traders and the amount of money, you know, you'd never be able to get near them. And he was right. Yeah. Um, and then of course, um, you know, five years later, and it, it all came out. It, you know, it all, it all crumbled. Yeah, and I remember the day Lehman's went down, um, and the stock market just, yeah, no, everyone was in, everyone was was in panic. Yeah, no one had ever seen anything like it. But at the time, it was also very exciting. <laughs> I know. I mean, if if you're an individual that can understand the markets and isn't overly exposed in certain asset classes, or maybe you're You've got a nice pile of cash. It's um, it's definitely an interesting time to be alive. I remember I just left high school then, mm. um, so it was it was super intriguing. I remember I got the sack from a hospitality job because the uh, the restaurant owner was paranoid that we were going to have a recession here, and he wanted to preemptively, uh, you know, sort of preemptive, preemptively make some measures. And then lo and behold, nothing happened in Australia. We were so lucky. Absolutely nothing happened. I mean, obviously the markets fell, but um, there was no recession. We never, we've not had a recession in thirty years. So I guess so locally, that's what everyone's paranoid about at the moment. But um, you know, you you left banking and financial services. You started trading on your own accord. Uh, we heard about moving to Thailand. How far from moving to Thailand did you meet Cameron? So um, Cameron actually came to one of my um, seminars, actually. Uh, really? Cameron. Yeah. So um, I was doing a, a seminar in, in London and uh, I met Cameron and, yeah, we just sort of hit it off and I really liked his ideas. He was from um, a business background. So he used to um, run a multi-million pound distribution company supplying all the big supermarkets. Um, and he got out of that for various reasons, a lot of stress, a lot of um, time. Um, and he really was kind of focused on, on trading at that point in time. So he just came into my seminar to see if he could extract any more information to give him more of an edge in trading. But that's, that's kind of how we met. And okay. um, at the time, he was trading uh, the American markets. And um, I didn't really have any good contacts uh, contacts at that time of, of any traders that could successfully trade those markets so we basically started a service off for Cameron uh, it was called Excelsior and that was, <laughs> that was uh, trading the Dow Jones giving signals on, on the Dow Jones yeah wow what have you learned working together with him I, I, I'd say that any business is almost like a marriage these days um, speaking from personal experience with the co-founder, what have you learned from, from working together? Yeah, well, yeah, it is like a marriage and, uh, yeah, honeymoon period. <laughs> but, um, no, I mean, we're, we're lucky enough that we, we get on well. We're, we're pretty laid back and we're kind of aligned as, as to where we want to go. So, you know, fortunately, we just don't really disagree on too much or have any, you know, big arguments, which a lot of business partners can do. Mm. Um, they can fall out, which makes life... Um, very difficult. So I think, yeah, from both both sides, we, we were kind of quite lucky to to combine. And I believe that's you know why we, we we're quite successful with the magnetic trading. Yeah, we both got the same focus of what we want to achieve. And I think as well because you you seem to both have unique skill sets. Like yours is clearly uh, coming from financial services, where his is clearly from that business background. Yes, so exactly, you can yeah. you can see that you know if you guys get into an argument about. XYZ topic, the person who's more passionate about it will obviously lead on that topic and you can just sort of move over it. And I think that's a key thing with a lot of co-founders is having someone that has an opposite skill set or complementary skill set to you is crucial, yeah. I think. Yeah, and that, that's it. We, we do have very different skill sets. So that's, uh, that's why it works so well for sure. Now, magnetic trading you guys run three programs now. I know over the years it would have taken much time to develop these distinct programs in your mind. What were the early days like? So the early days, I used to just send an email out um, saying buy, sell, target. Okay. And that was it really, uh, maybe with a little bit of analysis. And um, 
you know, that was fine. But the problem with that is the reaction time, you'd have that time lag. So someone would get an email and maybe they wouldn't have time to match the same entry as, as I was getting. Yeah. So that's why I sort of moved into the live room um, where people can actually log in, see our trading screen and hear us and they can react exactly at the same time. And we can give them a lot of information as to why we're taking the trade. I don't believe that um, someone should follow a trader blindly. I think they need to understand why they're taking a trade in the first place. Mm. And that's why the trading room works so well. Yeah. So you started off with... Did you start off with the trading room itself, or so you went from emails to a trading room, or were, and I'm guessing you were still doing sort of um, events on the side as well as that, right? Yeah, no. So the early days was just was just emails and um, and then yeah seminars in in the background maybe um, twice and three times a year, and then um, over time I think we've been doing the live room now for six years now doing okay. a lot. Yeah, so six years ago, we decided to transition from email alerts into an actually live trading webinar, and it's it's far more successful, and people can can duplicate um, our results as well. Mm. So you now have sort of three areas. You've got the the live trading room, you've got the yeah. tra- the whale trading program, and the pro trader program. How do they differ? Uh, and what's sort of the key thesis through structuring these three different areas? Sure. So the the live trading room, we we specialize predominantly on the first 30 minutes of the open of the uh, indexes. So uh, for that, for those markets, we trade the DAX and the FTSE, mm-hmm. which actually is pretty handy in, in Australia because it's actually in the evening, early mm-hmm. evening, you guys. But in the UK, it can be tricky for some people because uh, they're, you know, eight o'clock in the morning isn't the most convenient time in the UK because you're going to work or you've got you're taking the kids to school, or whatever. So, um, so that's that's where people will literally just follow our trades, um, and those trades will be a mix of technical analysis. Uh, there will be a bit of fundamental in there as well, and price action. Okay. And we'll trade generally for about twenty minutes, really, uh, when when volatility is quite high. So that's the, that's the live trading room. Then the the whale trade, they are our highest probability. So our nine highest probability trades um, over various index markets. So for that program, you don't need to log into a live room. Um, literally, an alert is pinged to your email, and it just says, right, this particular trade is setting up. People know, people know the rules, so they just log into the trading platform and they'll execute the trade. So some of those trades have a 90% high probability, okay. uh, of winning, which is extremely high in trading. Um, so people really love that program. And it's good if, if you're busy. You know, we designed it for as a lifestyle program, really. We, we believe that you shouldn't just be sat in front of the screens all day trying to hunt for signals. I mean, I think, I think we all agree there's, there's more productive things to do in life than just stare at price action all day. <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. So um, that's really the the basis of the whale program for people that um, that don't really have time for the the live room and they just want to be pinged uh, two to three high probability trades a week, mm-hmm. uh, and um, you know get a really good return on them. And then the pro trader that was set up because we noticed there was a void in the market for those for those clients that really wanted to take trading to full time. So become a professional trader. And I am against people that try and sell a program, a weekend course or a two day event and say, right, you can come here and then you'll be, you know, you'll have the skill set to become a trader. It doesn't work like that at all. So pro trader is really where clients work with us over the course of a full year. Mm. So day in, day out, at least an hour to an hour and a half, um, we will be touching base with our clients every day, teaching them or conversing in uh, what we're going to do or why we're taking a trade. And over the course of the year, they learn, they, they basically learn everything that we know. They extract all the information we have taken out of the markets over the last sort of combined uh, 20 years and we give it to them. 
and that's okay. the easiest way to to learn i mean it's the old analogy that if you if, if you study for an hour a day uh, over the course of the year you'll become a master at that field and, and pro trader is exactly the same that's why we set it up yeah i think to it sort of seems like it's one-on-one coaching in a way. You're helping this per- person uh, or keeping them accountable. That's the biggest thing. It, it's almost like having a PT, isn't it? You know? Exactly, yeah. It's someone It's someone looking over your shoulder. And, and it's interesting. We've had a lot of traders, uh, bank traders, who have joined our program because they didn't have the discipline. Um, so, just, so just actually focusing on, um, you know, just knowing that someone is examining their accounts um, is quite important. Um, yeah, I think uh, just from my own experience working on uh, the market making side and, and managing liquidity, I mean, at the end of the day, you've always got a boss and a boss will hold you accountable and it's very useful um, even though everyone likes to whinge about their boss. Uh, I, I find that whether you're a business owner or just having someone else there to hold you accountable and get you away from that sort of introspection illusion where you know you think that everything you see is correct um, sure. and infallible, and I think that that is really really useful. Even if you're one of the top traders uh, or bankers in in London, I think those I love those sort of programs because they really help with that. Um, what sort of the overall asset classes that you're focusing on? Because it seems like it's primarily indexes. It is indexes, yes. So um, it's it's the Nasdaq, it's the your your local ASX market, it's the DAX, uh, the FTSE, and we do we do a little bit of Dow Dow as well. Not so much now. That market is is trickier to make consistent money out because there's so many algorithms and uh, institutional money manipulating the, that particular market. Find mm. it's, it's trickier. Uh, to make consistent money out of, but yes, just just the indices that we, we we focus on. I mean, I have traded forex and commodities and shares in the past, but I found that it's I made consistent money more out of the indices than I did on other asset classes. I find it's a lot easier and predictable. Well, that to- that that's a key thing that we wanted to talk about is is technical mm. versus fun fundamental and how I find that with indexes. At the end of the day, you are trading the underlying value of sure. businesses. So there is an underlying value there. Whereas when I used to trade things like oil and gold, I mean, it's just an object that someone may may use for something. Um, but typically, most of what it's used for um, in the real world is it's hedging out an exposure of some kind. Whereas in indexes, uh, there's actually something there. I mean, in some indexes as well, um, you know, let's say you hold like a, a vanguard of the world, they're actually paying out dividends. Yes, exactly. Um, so, I, yeah, I completely agree. I think it, it makes a lot more sense uh, for a whole bunch of reasons. I guess I'm curious as to where you sit on technical versus fundamental analysis. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, just, just coming back to the indices, though, I mean, you're right on there are many reasons to do to take the um, – to trade the indices and, and a is because of the risk you know if you're just trading one stock you have the risk exposure to something going wrong with that stock whereas at least with the indices you're trading a basket and really spreading that risk but in terms of technical and fundamental analysis um we actually have a third prong so a lot of people they do it's the mainstream media focuses on just those two areas but actually at magnetic we focus on something called market function okay so market function is actually the reasons why particular trades or particular movements in the market happen behind the scenes. So what is going on behind the scenes with the banks and investors to make a market move outside of technical analysis and fundamental analysis? So if you take the example of the dividend, which you just talked about, the FTSE, for example, will, will declare uh, a, a substantial dividend quite a few times a year. Mm-hmm. And um, if you're if you bought the index, you will be rewarded with that. You'll get paid that dividend. So when there's a dividend of over ten, generally we'll we'll get our clients long in the market. There is a particular time in the day that we know the market is going to go up because investors are going to come into the market and get that dividend. 
So we're literally taking advantage of that. Mm. And that's got nothing to do with technical analysis, nothing to do with fundamental. It's just market function. Uh So I think a lot of people these days, they're focusing too much on fundamental and technical. And really, a retail trader does need that additional edge, which I believe is market function. Okay. And and you're right. So it sounds almost like market function is talking around structural issues in that specific market and things that may feed into that, whether it's interest rates or dividends or something like that. Would that be right? Yeah, and just the way funds operate. So, for example, we have another trade. It, it happens at the end of the quarter. So at the end of the quarter, a lot of funds will get rid of bad performing stocks or they'll take profits on uh, on their portfolio of stocks. So you'll notice that there will be some profit taking and sometimes there'll be a squeeze as well at the end of the uh, at the end of the session. And again, we're just taking advantage of, uh, advantage of that because we know that the funds are going to get involved um, during the last half an hour of that session at the end of the quarter. Yeah. Again, nothing to do with technical analysis and nothing to do with fundamental. Yeah. I I completely agree, and it's it's a really interesting area because having moved into the cryptocurrency space now, there's sort of yeah. just the advent of um of futures. So for hedging your book and and whatnot, and you can start to see it now in the movements of the market. When actual contracts are rolling over, it can it can impact the market for that day and for that rollover period. So it's been very interesting. I just I'd never thought about market function as a part of you know a key way of analyzing the market i just you know you'd assume okay that's just the market and that's how mr market likes to move but i'd I'd never ever thought of that yeah no and um yeah that's actually what the well program is all about it's all about market function it's got no fundamental or no technical analysis uh, embedded in those trades uh, and actually, we do have an expiry trade as well, which you just talked about with futures rolling over. Um, when they roll over, the markets will do something which we take advantage of Yeah. Um, every month at a set time for five minutes. And again, that's a trade which has a 90% hit rate. Yeah. Yeah. That, that high probability mm. hit rate. It's really interesting that you guys publish your results as well, um, which I found fascinating. And um, it's great to see that. Like it's It's so rare to see someone who runs a program do that? Like, I don't think I've ever seen that before. What, what made you come to that decision? Um, just because, I mean, in the early days, there, there fortunately, there, there wasn't too many scams around. Uh, but the, unfortunately, these days, the internet is littered with uh, people trying to sell programs or educational courses. And the, the, the sad reality is a lot of these uh, programs are run by failed traders or or traders or people that don't even trade. They're just marketers. Yeah. Um, so we really want to move into the space of complete transparency and 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 real. We know we are real traders. So it's just how to get people to believe our results because that's a problem. We have really good results, but people who don't know us, they come and see these, these results and go, "Oh, that's got to be a scam." <laughs> So that's why we we're, that's why we publish our results. And actually, going forward, what we're going to do is we're going to do a, a a video log YouTube channel where every single trade we take on our own personal account, we're going to uh, we're going to record, put it on YouTube, the good, the bad, and the ugly, so people have complete transparency that you know we are real. That would be super fascinating. Yeah, I was checking mm. out your YouTube channel the other day and. Um yeah, I really like. I quite enjoyed watching through it. To to watch a vlog would be fascinating, um, even if it was on like a weekly basis. It wouldn't have to be daily, as a lot of vlogs are. But to see that on a weekly basis and the before and afters would be quite interesting, I think. Um, and that that's what's great about the results. Like you know, you look at the results. There's some days that are negative, some days that are positive. Mm. The, my favorite traders that I follow on Twitter nowadays do the same thing. They publish their results. They keep themselves socially accountable, um, which I think is the best way to do it. Um, when you think about trading plans, managing risk, I think that's sort of a key element of any strategy. How do you think about those overall principles and the way you approach trading? Um, I mean, certainly the the main principles we find with our uh, successful pro traders are um, A, 
don't run losses. Problem with the markets is they can move in a very tight range, and a lot of the time, you can get away with not using a stop. Uh, stop, but it's just that one time, that one time, and I'm sure you've been, I've been there certainly in the early days, that you don't have a stop. The market just takes off, and you end up blowing your account. So, number one principle, we all know it, is never run losses, except you're wrong. Um, the second principle is patience. You know, be really patient for those easy trades because they're always there. The mar- let the market come to you. A lot of people just, they chase the market. They, they're trying to get instant results and they want instant money. You know, we live in this world of instant gratification these days uh, and everything happens so quickly. But in trading, it's quite the opposite. If you're really patient, the money will come to you. Um, and I think the other thing for risk as well is record all your trades. Because if you record all your trades, you can look back at your trading journal and say, right, well, this is work, this isn't working, this is working. And you also have a, you have some, some stats. So you'll, you'll be able to say, well, this trade has an 80% chance of winning. I've been trading it and it works 80% of the time. So that will give you a lot of confidence in your trading. And that confidence is extremely important um, when you're placing trades. Yeah. You you touched on something there, gratification. I think um, practicing delayed gratification is becoming more and more important. Um, how do you manage, I guess, your mindset? And uh, I mean, I guess you, you're probably sort of the generation just above me, uh, Gen X, uh so you wouldn't have you wouldn't have you know grown up as much with these stupid phones and their addictive behavior but nonetheless i'm sure you would find it just as addictive as i can at times so how do do you think about that and how do you manage you know scanning over social media looking at screens all day long and the like um i yeah i mean as you said it, it is um phones are addictive because, you know, sometimes you'll, you'll see something. It's like your emails. You know, there'll be the odd chance that you'll get something that comes in, which is great, but then you'll have a load of issues that come up <laughs> on another email. But you get, you get addicted to that, those emails, which, you know, are giving you positive mm. um, rewards. And it's, it's just, again, it's linked to feelings. So, um, so yeah, I just try. I just try and manage myself, but I do slip sometimes in. You know, it is too easy to to just keep looking at your phone. I mean, there were some stats recently. I can't remember what they were now, but it was amazing just how many times. I think it's how many times people look at their phone. It was, it was something like four hundred times a day or something. Something crazy. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise um, me. Yeah. Yeah, people are just plugged in. I've been trying this uh, attention diet of late, where um. I'm only allowed to check my emails at certain times of the day um, mm. unless it's relevant to a meeting or podcast that we have coming up and also social media. So I've, I've switched to documenting as opposed to believing that I'm there for consuming. I can only go on it four times a day and mm. uh, you'd be surprised how hard that is to instill. It's sort of that system one, system two thinking you, automatically we've become attuned with system one where we just, you know, you jump on your phone, you know where the app for Instagram is and you jump into that. If you actually move it around into random folders that you can't remember, you actually then start to notice how much you're just going on your phone and wanting to click into stuff. So, yeah, I think it's it's going to be... Um, I can see in a couple of years from now that you guys could have a program just specific to Mindset. Um, in years to come, because I think more and more that stuff is becoming important for sure. We already have it actually. So we we have we have a trading coach within our trading program, uh-huh. uh, Pro Trader. So he specifically focuses on mindset and psychology. Because you're right, it is eighty. It's eighty twenty. Everything in life is eighty percent psychology and mindset, mm-hmm. and then the other twenty percent is your tools, your strategies. Um, so it is vitally important to. To get um, to get your mindset right, and it's it's interesting that because I've always found the the one percent uh, rule fascinating. It's always really fascinating. I'm almost obsessed over it. <laughs> Why do one percent people excel over everything? I'm sure we've already heard about you know it's the top one percent of traders that make all the money. 
But then actually the 1% rule applies to everything. Mm. You go into a job in the banks, it's the top 1% with the, with the best jobs getting the, the best money. If you go into the world of sports, it's the top 1% excelling and at the top, whereas 99% of sports people are struggling. Mm. And again, for me, that is all because of this psychology and mindset. Yeah, I think the the Pareto principle is always working wherever we see it. Um, mm. It's I actually remember reading this recently. I feel like um, someone had now proven in biology how it exists or why it exists. Um, I'm gonna have to go back and find that, but it was super interesting, and I, I completely agree. It's always the the top uh, individuals behave in a certain way, and this is why I love profiling people around this sort of stuff. Um, yeah. What, what's what's the future look for you guys? What's what's magnetic trading got planned for the next few years? Um, so as I said, I'm 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 really excited that we're starting this uh, this vlog video blog that we are going to record every single trade that we do for our own trading account. So I think that will give people a you know a lot of confidence that it can be done. Um, there's always a lot of haters now on the internet saying that you can't make money in trading, and yeah, that that's not that's not the case as well. So um, I'm quite excited just to show everyone that look, it can be done, and a lot of our clients have a lot of success now. You know, we're changing lives. Um, I went to a re- I went to a, um, a Tony Robbins event recently, actually, huh. and um, and um, he's a and I've always always been a great fan of him. He's a and machine. he was all, he was saying that. Once you once you've made your money and you know you've you've got your goals, what is actually going to give you fulfillment? And I know it sounds a bit cliche, but it, it's giving back. It is. Yeah. It's, re- it's really giving back. So um, we just w- really want to build our success stories, changing lives, and um, yeah, giving back to the community. Um, I, I think um, he's definitely right about that. Helping people when you achieve around that seventy to one hundred thousand dollars a year mark not much else is going to give you fulfillment and all that's going to happen is you're going to build uh, lifestyle inflation into your life. So I think that um, helping people is ideally where you get the greatest fulfillment. No doubt about that. 100%, 100% yeah. No, I'm totally totally in agreement with that one. Yeah. Now, we're going to get into some rapid-fire questions to finish you off. So first one for you, what does your morning routine look like? Uh, morning routine. Well, if I am in Koh Samui uh, at my villa, I, I will wake up. I will generally have a, a green drink, um, uh, sort of detoxify the body, go for a swim, uh, do a bit of a workout. Uh, that sort of wakes me up and then have a coffee. But um, yeah, I'm kind of uh, into health as well. I believe that you've got to start from the inside and that, that sort of helps the mindset as well. Mm. But certainly that morning swim really helps. If I'm in the city, um, morning routine isn't as good. Generally, I'm rushing around, but I'll, I'll try and squeeze in a quick uh, workout in the morning. And evening, how do you sort of decompress at night? Um, yeah, the usual really, just uh, sort of chilling out with friends, socializing, go for dinner, movie, um, watching some TV, that sort of thing really, having a few glasses of wine. Nice. Uh, if you had to gift a book to the audience for Christmas coming up, uh, what would the book be and why? Uh, for trading, I mean, it would definitely be Trading in the Zone, Mark Douglas, just because yeah. we're talking about the mindset. Uh, I would also highly recommend the Tony Robbins books. Um, so he's got Master Master of the Game. Um, I think he's got... Awaken the Giant Within. Unshakable. Unshakable. Yeah. Uh, and money, yeah, money master the game. Money master the game is a really good one. So it sort of just gives you the strategies for growing your wealth and uh, just highlights, you know, why why the majority are struggling to grow their wealth out there. Yeah, um, and the things to put in place and unreal. And sort of highlights a lot of um, myths as well for for the invest for the investing world. Mm. So that's a really good one, Tony Robbins. Yeah, I think if people are stuck on where they're going in life, Awaken the Giant Within is a brilliant book um, as well. All right, last question yes. for you. Uh, what's been the best purchase for you under $200? Best purchase for me, and again, it's going to be it's going to have to be a Tony Robbins course. Um, yeah, it's going to because I, I find that's given me just so much um, inspiration and um, helped me 
uh, through throughout the last. Did 10 you years. originally so, buy one of his tapes when they first came out? I I know I think I got one of one of his. Yeah, it would it would have been an audio though, but it was it was a downloadable audio. Yeah. So it wasn't as early as cassettes, okay. but um, it was books and then audios. Yeah, because everyone always talks about the cassette tapes, the CDs, the audio mm. program in general. That's what that is actually a very common thing amongst people who've achieved something in their life is is they all reference at an early age finding Tony Robbins or um, the you know the rich dad poor dad guy and they they obviously grew out of it as time went on but that sort of opened their mind a bit um, but and I guess that's what they those guys do so well is that they put it in layman's terms and they make it quite simple so um, it's very interesting to hear that all right mate Thank you so much, Mark, for joining. It's been a pleasure. Great. It's been you. very interesting. I uh, I think for those listening, where do you think they could find you? Uh, well, they can go on to Magnetic Trading, and um, they can you know they can sort of sign up to our newsletters, and they and and also they can follow us on social media. Certainly, check out the YouTube videos. We're going to start yeah. with uh, with our with our funds and trading accounts. Just you know, displaying all our trades, the good, the bad, and ugly um, across social media and now, so that they find that I interesting. I definitely recommend checking out Inst- Instagram's got to be the platform of choice these days, but I like what you guys are putting out on Instagram. A few IGT videos there, um, so there's mm. some good content, and no doubt we'll sort of see some of the, uh, the vlog material there as well. But um, Mark, thanks so much for joining. Great. Thanks, Jordan. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Margin Call. Before you run off, make sure you subscribe on your podcast app to get first access to new episodes and consider sharing this with a friend who loves the Forex CFD game. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube by searching Go Markets. That's G-O-M-A-R-K-E-T-S. Until next time, thanks for listening.